0: Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.
1: What our team is focused on is the impact that we have on our users. That's where our energy comes from, that's where our motivation and, like, excitement comes from is what it does for those
0: people. Three, two, one. My name is Espri Devorah, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I welcome back to the women in tech podcast celebrating women in tech around the world so excited for our next guest coming at us from massachusetts welcome jamie hello hello thank you for having me oh my gosh thank you for being here super super elated to have you on the show go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do Sure. I'm Jamie
1: Herbert. I'm the CEO and co-founder of BridgeCare. BridgeCare is a SaaS platform that is for government agencies and local organizations working to build an early care and education ecosystem that works for everyone. When most people think about the child care industry, they think about families and child care providers and, you know, women who care for children during the day while the families go to work. But there's this whole world of regulation, safety and funding that's around licensed child care and publicly funded pre-K programs. So we're in that space. BridgeCare offers the software infrastructure to run those public systems so we can increase access to affordable, high quality early care and education.
0: While we're on it, while it's so clear, can you walk us through someone you work with and what that looks like so people could really get the visual?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of our clients is the state of Texas, the Texas Workforce Commission, and we offer the statewide Texas Child Care Availability Portal, where families all across the state of Texas can search in an Airbnb-like experience to look for licensed child care providers. They can search their quality ratings, whether they have openings, what hours and services they have available, just trying to make it really easy for families to find care. We also work with the state of Colorado. Uh, they just in the past year rolled out universal preschool, so all four-year-olds in the state of Colorado can access free preschool. And it's a brand new program, about three hundred and twenty two million dollars of funding for free preschool every year. And we're the end to end system and software system administrating that program.
0: And if you're comfortable, can you share what inspired you to create Bridge Care? Because I have a lot of friends in childcare tech and it's not an easy industry to navigate through. So I'm super curious about your inspiration.
1: Yeah, I mean, my inspiration originally, and I've started Bridge Care in 2016. We've taken a few pretty big pivots along the way. We've we've always been focused in the childcare sector and around solving the childcare crisis for for families. The original orientation was around solving the problem of gender equity in the workplace, seeing the moment of having young children being an inflection point in women's careers disproportionately leaving the workforce and often not because they wanted to but because they didn't feel they had good other choices and there's a whole lot of complex reasons that that many families make that choice or maybe a false choice but a lot of it has to do with access to quality affordable care
0: i'm curious what is your end goal because when you created this company i feel like you probably had an end goal dream Am I on the right hunch for that? And what is that end goal?
1: I mean, the end goal, you know, realistically is probably something I won't see in my lifetime, unfortunately, but I think that's what system change is, you know. I've always been oriented toward impact. It certainly is a business, and I certainly am striving for financial, you know, positive outcomes for myself and my team and my investors. But my compass has always been the impact. So, from the lens of gender equity in the workplace, it's, you know, have. Limit women equally, if not more, leading the world. Um, And that women's careers get their knees kind of cut off at the knees because of not having good access to care. And so for their children and parents and, you know, more, but equality,
0: you know, it's, you know, small dreams. You talked about the massive partnerships that you have today. When you first started on day one, How did you even embark on this journey to get to where you are now?
1: We were a a very different solution then. Uh, We actually were a consumer finance company. So we were actually a licensed consumer lender giving out loans for families to access um, higher quality care with greater access to funding. The kind of math equation was if cost is the reason that Uh, People are choosing to opt out of the workforce and lose, you know, at least if not more, a million dollars of earnings for themselves and their families over the course of their career. Makes sense to invest now, just like, you know, you do with college or a home for the future. And yeah, that's where we started. We did um, do some of that, but then we pivoted along the way to a couple different places. I could talk more about that, but that's how we got started.
0: (laughs) let's go into the pivot. We'll go into the pivot. And I really want to get into the story of you and how you became passionate about tech. But let's stay on your company right now. Like, let's talk about the pivot.
1: Yeah. So what I learned about that is we were trying to create an entirely new financial product. And the amount of funding we would need to raise to like, educate the market, just marketing dollars, was a hurdle that I wasn't interested in kind of overcoming, nor was there any guarantee we we would. And I think in the meantime, we were just getting a lot of ask from our customers for help with other things. So they're like, oh, that's really cool. But, you know, could you also help me find care? Because now that I've got this money, I can't even find a place to spend it. So just like, let's see how this goes. Maybe it's lead gen. We were just helping families like, picking up the phone and calling on their behalf um, for like thousands of families across the country and really firsthand learning the challenges of just navigating this overall industry and ecosystem. In doing so, learned also a lot about the challenges on the childcare provider side of managing their business, costs associated, thin margins, staffing challenges. And I got my MBA in Sustainable Systems. And so I've really learned to take system approach i get frustrated when i'm solving a narrow part of a problem that's not going to fix the bigger problem (laughs) so i always kind of look for like where's the bigger impact and so yeah over time we just kind of as we call it went up the value chain of the child care system we pivoted first to employers um, because at that time before the pandemic there was just no movement in the public sector to like really solve the childcare crisis, and so we looked to well, who else needs childcare that isn't a childcare provider or a family? Employers, and why shouldn't they put some skin in the game? We launched that new product in January of 2020, and we're about to raise venture capital, and then the pandemic hit in March. And that was not a possibility. (laughs) So our product we had launched was useless to the world in a closed down pandemic environment. And we weren't able to raise because we had just gotten started and we weren't able to get more traction. So we made a, in a day decision, Seattle Public Schools closed their doors for 2 weeks and we made the decision to pivot to the public sector and yeah solve the need of the moment but but knew it was a bigger problem and so around supply and demand and helping families match care because overnight all the children that were in public schools during the day but their families were frontline workers needed childcare cuz schools were closed and all the children who were in childcare who were young but fa- parents weren't first frontline workers had to be home. So there was this like big, like kind of like 52 card pickup, like everything just threw up in the air and came down. I was like, oh my gosh, how do we sort these things? It was a very inefficient market that didn't know how to match people with their needs. And so we, we created actually that Texas availability portal within weeks of the pandemic hitting and, and launched there in Texas.
0: That's so exciting. And if I understood you correctly, the Texas portal is, did you say free childcare or did I misunderstand something? The two
1: are different. So, in Texas, it's just helping families find care that they pay for. So, any licensed child care, whether it be through public funding or, you know, private funding, there is a subsidy for child care in Texas based on income and other risk factor needs, which we're actually in the in the process of implementing that statewide subsidy application for them at the moment. Not launched yet, but it'll be one continuous experience from searching to applying for funding. In Colorado, there's free preschool for four-year-olds.
0: Oh, in college. It's so interesting. Within BridgeCare's resources, do you have a place within your site to go to to find out state by state what kind of resources exist for parents? No, we don't. There are some nonprofits, though, that do
1: that. And we have some really great partnerships with some of the kind of nationwide or even local nonprofits um, helping families kind of connect those different resources.
0: Who do you recommend like to find out something like the state of Colorado? Like I had no idea about that. Where would you go to find out information related to that?
1: There's an organization called Child Care Aware of America. I don't know if they have that one specifically on there, but they have a map that lists the different resources and not just financial, but also, you know, nonprofits that are what are called CCRNRs, Child Care Resource and Referrals. They help families navigate, find things. So they have a map and you can look at where you are, where your state is and what resources are available.
0: This world is so complicated. So I have a lot of moms that are single moms And some employed and then some recently unemployed because of, you know, what happens in tech. I mean, even like Brex just had layoffs this week. You know, it's just very common. And then you have your children. And depending on the programs that exist in your state or your city, et cetera, you're paying different amounts. And some of the amounts I've been hearing from my friends, because I don't have kids, it's like thousands of dollars for childcare, And I'm like, it's this crazy, complicated world that bridge care is helping support as best as you can. It's really I had no idea how, for lack of a better term, convoluted this uh, this world is when it comes to the economics of child care. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's I mean, it's largely because there is federal funding that that flows to the states. There's really no federal like. Nationwide program except for something called Head Start, which comes from federal funding and then gets implemented locally. So there's some consistency there, but and that's for mostly low income families. But most of the funding comes from either this child care development um, block grant or preschool development grant. They're two big federal funds and then they go to the states. So the states all implement it totally differently. And some implement it even at like the county or regional level, not even statewide consistency. So every state is like a very different landscape. And so our product has to be really flexible. We call it highly configurable, so that each place can look totally different than its its neighbor. Yeah.
0: Now, is Bridge cares? I'm about to say obviously it's end user, but please connect. Uh, correct me if I'm saying anything wrong. It's end users, parents, but your customers are these partners like Texas, et cetera, right? Like end users are providers and families, uh, and depending on what
1: what the client okay. has purchased, yeah. <laughs>
0: If you had one ask of our, our global community listening that they could do to support you and your success, how should they refer you to someone else? Who should they be talking to? Where should they be bringing up bridge care? So, I
1: mean, first of all, just attention on the issue of child care. One, one reason we don't have more progress in this crisis is that It's really an issue that people become awake to when they have a child and they like really experience this pain point themselves. And then as, as like often parents do, you kind of get busy with your life and you forget how painful (laughs) those early years were similar to childbirth itself. And you kind of move on with your life. And so it's, a lot of it is just the lack of attention it gets. I mean, we need it to be a societal issue. It is a workforce issue. It is a gender equity issue. It is a race equity issue. Disproportionately, caregivers are women of color. It is why I have been pursuing this work since 2016 and still am ever as committed, if not that much more energized, because it's so intersectional. And if you if you look at really any systemic societal issue that like is coming to a head right now um, and has been for a very long time there's aspects of child care in that or there are aspects of the child a a functioning well-funded well-functioning child care system would move the needle so much if we valued that care if we valued the work of women yeah, just pay attention and care, even if it doesn't affect you, you know, advocate. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is create the data to prove the need for the investment. And so our system is both used for the function of all these different things that have to happen, but it also gathers the data to make the case for more, for more funding, for more support. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, voters. It's people who live in this country and all around uh, countries all around the world that, you know, help make these things actually happen.
0: For all of you listening who don't have kids like me. And so I found this out by being around people who did have kids. And I found it out by accident, kind of. I was just like being a supportive friend. And and I discovered things that I'm just like, are you kidding that it actually works? And then I started asking questions to my other Single parent friends and even coupled up friends. And I'm like, do you guys go through this too? Is this normal? <laughs> so let me give you an example. Let's just take a single parent, right? Guy or girl, I'm not saying like what the just single parent, the government is going to say, like, go get a job to like, you know, contribute to society. That's the responsible thing to do. Now, if you're a single parent, with a, a baby or something like that, and you don't have any family or help that could take care of of your child for you, the cost, at least in like California, in some areas, could be like four thousand dollars or so, like something like propa. Like, how are you supposed to spend four thousand dollars a month on child care? Everything you'd be making at the job is gonna be go back to the. It's like it's like this weird catch twenty two. I mean, am I am I speaking accurately? Because I be
1: yeah, yeah. Statistically, in more than half the country, child care costs more than college tuition costs more than a mortgage. It is incredibly expensive and it's incredibly expensive for one child. But when you have two, it's double. When you have three, it's triple. So if you have the luxury, a lot of families choose to the luxury as an you know, obviously not a real luxury, but to choose to have someone of the two parents if there are two parents stay home and care for that child instead of hey that cost but that's like a false choice right because it's it's often not the what they would have wanted but when you when you double especially when you especially when you have that second child it's like oh, you're telling me now I have to do that times two I can't
0: and it is yeah. a luxury i really do think cuz yeah anyway i won't i won't dive into that further because I, I it's just like this emotional rant but when i found out this information i just i can't believe that it it's, it's true like it's just it doesn't make it's so illogical to me <laughs> somebody needs to wake up because these numbers don't add up something doesn't make sense here and then
1: yeah. the cost is the cost is a lot but it's also the supply in a lot of places there, I think also over half the country is considered a childcare desert where there aren't enough spaces for the children that are there. And I definitely experienced that when I had my child, there was only one place that took infants and that was licensed for infant care in my community. And they were full. They only often take like one or two infants. So infant care is incredibly challenging and is one of the biggest problems because the ratios of the, the, the peep for safety, the ratio of person caring for a child is fewer peep caretakers to children. And so the cost is much higher and the ratio, just how many children they can take is much lower. And uh, so it, it, it's both of those problems. There's not enough. And it's exceptionally expensive
0: let's get into you and your love of tech and how you even figured out how to build things and run things and become the businesswoman you are today. It is not easy. When did you first become interested in business and or tech?
1: I grew up in business. My mom's an entrepreneur. She has owned a clothing store, a a small local business clothing store for my entire life and before I was born. And You know, I didn't realize until I was kind of going through my own entrepreneurial journey and how pulled I was toward that, that really a lot of the women in my life growing up were entrepreneurs. And I think that is somewhat unique. And so, yeah, I think I was just kind of born from a very young age, uh, putting labels on mailers and doing inventory with her. And I've still work for her business and help her with her website, you know, so never got out of the, the, the family biz and also did not feel very well suited to working for anyone else. I've got like a defiance and like a don't tell me what to do. I will not do that thing that I don't think is worthwhile in me. And so I really value autonomy. So, yeah, I just think I'm kind of built to be an entrepreneur. And I learned that especially when I had my first two jobs, <laughs>
0: Something that a lot of our guests bring up, and especially since we're talking about the topic of childcare, And my heart goes out to them. They feel very guilty being driven women when making the choice um, on a daily basis, when to work, when to go to the softball game, when to do this, when to do that. Our last guest, Chaitra, said something so cool. I don't remember the exact story, but it was something like she couldn't make it to some game, right? Because she was running the business. But she's her own type of wow so what she ended up doing is putting together some other like cool group for the community that was like a, a, like the community of kids that was some some like leadership thing or something and they thought she was the coolest mom ever in doing that and they're like see you have now your your softball thing and you have this thing like and she was reinventing what it looked like to be supportive of kids and community in a way that like worked for her and her schedule where she was still able to be the supportive doting mom. It just wasn't necessarily at the softball game. It was in this other environment. I'm butchering the story totally, but I felt really empowered that in the idea of don't just say, if I can't be here, that that means like needing to be in two places at one time. Rather, what is the place that you could invent that is equally as great? Does that make sense how I'm saying it? I'm not even sure. I'm like butchering your yeah. whole story. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's a really
1: interesting way of approaching it. I think if I think about it, I think it. my belief, I guess, is that it all comes down to just how you let those pressures. Do you write your own story or do you kind of feel like this story? story of what you it for you, right and like these pressures that maybe no one else is putting on you necessarily even, but you're feeling, right? So it is hard. Uh, I'm definitely the parent that works more in my relationship. Um, my husband spends a lot more hours of the day with my child. Childcare ends at 245 and <laughs> I don't stop working at 245, but he does and we're fortunate that we can set up a life where he can even do that. Yeah. There's a lot of hours that I miss. I, I think I approach it that just trying to be present when I am there and yeah, not, I think, I think letting that guilt get to you is a choice and just not letting that invade your space. (laughs) Like I love what I do. And I think that is also a privilege um, to really love the work I do when I'm not with him. I think it's much harder when you don't, when you, when you're also not happy from that time away, him being my child, but yeah, I think that there's that I just feel so fulfilled in all sides of my life. And I also think I get some assurance that, you know, I've seen um, there have been studies about that boys that are raised by mothers uh, who work outside the home do more around the home to help like dishes and cooking when they become adults. And women who are have mothers who worked outside the home end up on, on average earning more because maybe they advocate for themselves and um you know potentially also are more likely to follow that career trajectory who I don't know all that's behind it but there was a study about that so you know there's like that that's the story I tell myself right <laughs> about what I'm doing for him in a very different way and and the what he gets to see about a strong mom who's doing something really amazing in the world
0: well I think what you brought up being present is actually really important and I want to oh that super annoying term, but I'm about to say it. I want to double click on that. I So I need to come up with something else because uh, that's not going to work for me long term. But I think it's really important because it's so in- attainable. And it's something that all of us, all of us can improve upon. I went, Jamie, I went to a sound bath last night and I wasn't present. And my one of my girlfriends was next to me. I couldn't make it through the whole sound bath. I just was like I give up. I took out my phone, I put it on really dim light and I was like doing work on my phone as the sound bath was going on the yoga mat. Like I was I was not present and I felt jolted in my body. I wasn't here. My my sweet friend was like so kind and to you it's okay and it's like I felt like I was losing out on living. And I think that there is which is human that that was my experience yesterday. And it's also something so attainable for us to be like, what really matters to us? And I could only imagine with the time that you have with your child, you walk into the room and you make that conscious choice. Everything else stops for this hour, for this 30 minutes, for this 45 minutes, for this 15 minutes. Sometimes maybe it's only 10 minutes, but everything else stops. And I'm going to be wholly present and focused and really enjoy and nourish in this moment. And I I think that's free to do doesn't cost anything. And it's just a, a conscious choice.
1: It is an active practice to fight the guilt of, oh, when I'm with him, I should work. And when I'm at work, I should be with him. I mean, there's a lot of stories that our society tells us about what we should be. And there's a lot of shoulds and, and also just, but I think most of the pressure comes actually, at least in my life, from internal. I create it so I can stop it,
0: you know? 100%. 100%. Continue to walk me through your journey, getting involved in the tech and business world, eventually leading to bridge care.
1: Yeah, sure. And I mean, I really didn't set out to be in the tech world even necessarily. I definitely set out to be creating impact and and I guess eventually in the business world. But I actually in undergrad studied political science and then I worked in the anti-human trafficking nonprofit world out of college. I found that the nonprofit world wasn't really what I wanted to be. I was always really interested in social enterprises. but I funny enough, coming from a business with my family, but I, I kind of thought like business is bad, you know, like uh, when you want if you want to do good things in the world, like the nonprofits do that. And um, social enterprise was kind of a growing area, and that's where I was really interested. I ended up just getting a job, like a, just a super, the most normal sales job at ADP you could possibly have. <laughs> um, no impact whatsoever. I mean, I still tried to like bring my own lens of it. But um, yeah, I had a, a really entry level sales job, did really well. I found that like my ambition that I do have and is very innate, was very embraced in that environment. And that was new for me because it wasn't so much in in the nonprofit world. Um, and well, I remember my husband actually just shook me one day and said, Jamie, you have so much more to give to the world. You were not, you know, summa cum laude and all these things and fight for these things to be working there, doing this, like do more. And so that was kind of the moment where I was miserably unhappy because I wasn't connected to purpose in my work. That's when I went and got my MBA in sustainable systems, knowing I'd have a focus in entrepreneurship and and really driven to start um, this company. And yeah, like all through my MBA, I recruited teams to like work on me. I was in an entrepreneurship track, and every time we had a project to work on, I'd get up and I'd pitch my "Who wants to work on this with me?" You know, <laughs> a couple of the people ended up being my first founder uh, co-founders. They didn't last too long um, once we really got started, but it, it you know it got us started. And and then I did meet my um, now co-founder who's been with me since 2017, and we became the, the child care solution we were, but I was really, you know, I have a thread of being interested in gender equity issues in, in my life. And so came across the challenge of child care and yeah, from that moment on have been devoted to solving problems in the space. And then, you know, kind of the journey I already articulated around how we came to what we do now.
0: I'm curious because there's this debate about MBAs. Do you think that your MBA and apologies if this is a vulnerable question, it's not intended to be. Do you think your MBA has served what the intention was in getting it and being the businesswoman you wanted to become? I say the same thing
1: about MBA accelerator programs because I've done many, many of those as well. It just depends. It depends on the program. It depends on you. It depends on what you're trying to do. But by and large, no, I don't think any of them are required. (laughs) I mean, they're not required to do anything. Um, You can absolutely learn everything that they teach on the Internet or just from your own research or from, you know, doing. It is absolutely not required. Did I find it valuable? Absolutely, uh, for my journey. And I went to a really alternative kind of MBA program in sustainability. So uh, it was a really transformational, life-giving experience, not just an MBA experience. Um, so uh, a program that's now called Presidio Graduate School. Um, so it was really, it was very special. So I don't regret it, but I don't think, mostly when people ask me, I would say, don't do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a friend about not just MBA, but MBA and like elite colleges and the and the associations etc, blah, blah, blah. We both agree that a hundred percent network. And like they I'm, were my first
1: investors. They were my co founders, you know. That.
0: It's almost like a, a faux fraternity or sorority or something. You're buying into a network. I've been reading these stories with, um, I mentioned the, the layoffs earlier, and I've been reading these stories with the layoffs that people don't hire on resume anymore. They hire on relationships. I'm like, whoa, that's terrifying and unfair. <laughs> that's the power of doing the MBA, going to the school, joining the accelerator, et cetera, et cetera, the club. Having those relationships unlock the doors to all the areas of life. I mean, there's a lot more to it than just that. But yeah, you just said your investors, your co-founder, the network. Yeah.
1: And I don't think you have to. There's value. You can get that value out of it. Maybe it can accelerate things faster for you. But and you can get a lot of things out of it. But um, is it necessary? It is not necessary.
0: What is the biggest obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome that in your career?
1: I mean, the biggest challenge was trying to fundraise for this company. I think I spent four years, I mean, essentially failing at fundraising. <laughs> we raised a little, we raised some capital in a pre-seed, um, like 750000 I mean, over the course of years how I overcame it was I just stopped trying (laughs) and instead focused on the business. And it's the best thing I ever did. I mean, I really look back at that time and think, yeah, I'm sure a lot of the things we did served us and, you know, we kind of had lessons and met people and, but it also felt like a lot of wasted time because I just spent so much time chasing after this person categories, investors who are not at all our customer and trying to like you just inevitably kind of try to make the business work to what they are interested in when they're not at all the customer. And and when we just stop doing that because the pandemic forced us to. But when we stop doing that and just focused on building a product and being with our customers and knowing them and knowing what they needed and building that for them. Things just started happening, you know, four years after that, I guess now investors are kind of banging down our door, interested in what we're doing, because we've been able to really create a lot of value in the world. And that's very appealing. So failing at fundraising and (laughs) getting I don't even know how many no's over the years and years, that was probably the most challenging.
0: Just to make sure I fully understand you you raise the seven hundred fifty in pre seed, then you you start becoming just focused on being self funded. So the company pays for itself.
1: Yeah, I mean we were out of that money. We were like way out of that money by the time we pivoted to what we do now. So it, this version of Bridge Care is fully bootstrapped at this point.
0: How did you work out? Your pricing model, was that difficult for the both of you, you and your co-founder? How'd you decide what to charge and how to charge and in what cadence and all that kind of stuff?
1: Well, initially, I mean, the the great thing about what we pivoted to is we're essentially like enterprise SaaS software for SaaS for uh, GovTech, really. Our contracts are long and stable and fairly large. They're fewer, right? But larger. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Because we had to, like out of necessity, we're like, okay, I mean, you know, Sequoia sent out their black swan email and was like, all right, we got to hunker down. We got to make this happen on our own. We can't count on venture capital and we got to change the business model, right? And so that's what we did. And that's not the right business model for every company, but it was accessible to us. And, you know, we hunkered down and did that. And especially, I mean, we were like, no investor is ever going to invest in us now that we work with government. They went in touch with a 10 foot pole, Right we're just going to keep our heads down where we know we're making this choice to be like totally uninteresting <laughs> to the whole world that we are like about to leave behind essentially and i mean even the way we hire is like if like if you've worked on ai or blockchain you're probably not going to be interested in working at bridge care because we build really solid, amazing technology. I mean, not to, not to, um, undervalue the strength of the platform that we have because my co-founder and CTO and our entire technical team are incredibly talented. What our team is focused on is the impact that we have on our users. That's where our energy comes from. That's where our motivation and like excitement comes from is what it does for those people. And so, yeah, that's what we look for is just like people who want to like build a maybe kind of boring thing right like in the grand scheme of tech but uh that drives a lot of value
0: and for those who don't know I know Sequoia obviously I don't know actually know the Black Swan and so I imagine they sent out oh yeah they share sent about out it. And,
1: yeah and so they're really you know very well known very well respected and I believe the story is that and I've seen I've seen it um before years ago so I might not remember correctly that they sent out an email to all their portfolio companies and it was called the black swan email. That was like, this is, this is real. It was like right when COVID has come out, like, here's what you need to do. Cut your costs, find ways to like get to profitability. You can't count on your next funding round. Like who knows what this will bring essentially. It was a little bit like apocalyptic and, um, in a way that was probably very useful to hear. I mean, I think a lot of companies needed to hear that. And at first it was, and then I think, you know, things changed and the market got frothy and like crazy deals were being done that were outrageous value. So it it kind of changed, but we kind of took that to heart and we're like, I mean, we were also very much in the position where that was very obvious. We were not able to raise because we, you know, had very little traction and we're not, not going to get any more because our product was unsellable because of the, the shutdowns at that moment. So,
0: yeah. It's so interesting what a perspective shift can do, you know, and the opportunities and abundance that it could just when you open your door to a perspective shift, it could bring in so much good. We get into our own way quite often. Who is someone like that's given you a great piece of advice that's really helped propel your career? And what was that advice? It's
1: kind of his slogan. And I, I don't even know what's much going on with his organization anymore. But early on, I got connected with Adeo Rossi at the Founder Institute in the Bay Area. And he always says that a startup dies when a founder quits. And I I, I think that means is isn't necessarily bad, right? Like sometimes companies shut down and that's okay. Sometimes it just means because it's matured into no longer a startup and the founder has left the company and someone else is leading it. But I really internalize that. And I think combined with my like deep belief in falling in love with the solving the problem, not creating the solution that you have your heart set on. I mean, that has really represented my journey as an entrepreneur of just keep going, you know, and and the knowing that, look, there's, there's a childcare crisis. This problem is not solved. So this business model might not be the way forward, but there's still a problem to solve here. And it's worthwhile to spend time in my time, my life working towards solving that. And Bridge Care would only die if I quit trying to pursue that. So here we are. Took took many years
0: and a few p- very large pivots along the way, <laughs> but we made it. Who is a must follow like a must listen podcast, must watch YouTube channel or maybe a must read author or a Twitter profile? Who's a must? I mean,
1: I love following Sarah Blakely because she's just so funny and brings so much like levity. <laughs> So much levity to the entrepreneurial journey, but a lot of inspiration as well. Another person I love to follow is Amy Nelson. She was the founder of, is the founder of The Riveter. I started Bridge Care in Seattle and that's where I got my MBA. So she was a part of the startup community there that I connected with early on. And we started our business at the same time. And she's always been a big inspiration to me and has a lot of grit herself.
0: And tell us a little bit about The Riveter.
1: The Riveter is started as a co-working space that was amazing, oriented toward women and work. They you know, were definitely impacted by the pandemic and shut down their locations when that happened, um, but has come back and is now, I think, more of an online platform. And also they're doing some partnerships with hotels, I believe, right now.
0: And what is a must-read book? I am
1: reacquainting myself with 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership right now. It's a leadership focus book. It's about really making sure that you uh, bring consciousness to your, your engagement. Really, I mean, all aspects of your life, but in particular as a leader, you have so much more impact on your team and the people around you than you probably even know. And So bringing consciousness to your work and your engagements and every interaction um, is really important for a healthy culture, a happy team, and ultimately good outcomes. The primary, I think, takeaway for me from it so far is kind of being, are you being above or below the line and thinking about how, what energy you're bringing to interactions and situations and, and how you're navigating them. So it's, it's a useful tool. I'm getting myself reacquainted with it. So I'm sure there's a lot of other great takeaways from it as well, but that's the big one above or below the line.
0: Awesome. And the last question is, this is just selfishly for me because I love software. What's your favorite app, mobile app? It could be anything. It could be personal, professional on your phone. It could be a website you go to just your fave. Yeah. One of the
1: apps I'm using most right now in my life across a lot of different aspects is my uh, timer app comes on the iPhone, just very basic, but it's a magical tool as a parent. We were with friends the other day and we have two and a half year olds who are like, don't really get sharing yet. And so they were fighting over a scooter and I said, okay, we're going to set a timer and first going to go wilder and then Ray Ray will get a turn after. Okay. And they're like, okay. Yeah. So we set the timer for three minutes and no problems all right, great. Pass it right off. Oh, my turn now. So that is awesome. Also, like if our child's ever watching TV, just set the timer. No crying, no screaming, no fighting uh, to turn off TV. And also for my own productivity, just to keep myself focused, you know, Pomodoro style, (laughs) set the timer.
0: (laughs) Totally. Jamie, it's been amazing getting to know you. Who is someone that you think just needs more love, flowers It should be really highlighted within our community?
1: I would definitely recommend Amy Nelson. She has always been such an inspiration to me and also has gone through so much adversity. She has the most grit of any founder I've ever met or heard of. And she's also just incredibly talented and has a lot of amazing things to say. She's been a Forbes contributor and she'd be a great guest. You can find her on Instagram at Amy, A-M-Y, Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N. The longer version is Amy underscore K underscore Nelson. And she's also just an amazing supporter of other women and female founders. Uh, She's just an amazing person who's always lifting up others. So she definitely deserves to be lifted.
0: Awesome. Thank you. How can people connect with you? Where is best? Place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. J
1: A M E E, Jamie Herbert.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your time with the Women in Tech Podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to women in vip.com That's women in tech vip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on all the things. I will see you talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Jamie Herbert, CEO
1: and co-founder of BridgeCare, a software company creating a well-funded and well-functioning child care system. I am based in the Berkshires, Massachusetts, and you're listening to Women in Tech.